There's something um, uh, I want to say circular or um, concentric or like where, where it's not just a one thing. It's not just a like, bam. It's a, a sort of like, uh, like a woom, woom. I know what you're thinking. Why are you making a podcast about orgasms, Helen? Well, I'm glad you asked. I didn't used to be able to have one. Oh my goodness, shock horror, but you sound like such a good time girl. I know. It seems to be a shocking contradiction to some people that people can be happy and joyous in their daytime lives, but uh, struggle to feel pleasure in their sexy, sexy sex lives. I used to be so ashamed. I used to think that I was completely broken, utterly numb, had no sensation. I went pretty extreme, I think. I decided to shut myself down. It wasn't really conscious, but I shut myself down utterly because I thought I was such a failure. I thought it was shit at sex, really shit at sex. Uh, And so I would take that feeling into sex and then, what a surprise, I would have shit sex. I would be pretending the whole time to have a good time because I wanted the other person to think I was a good time girl. And as a result, no intimacy occurred. I was entirely in my head, not present, which means that I can never really connect with myself or the other person. It was a self-perpetuating cycle and I got very bored and very lonely because I'd attract these absolutely stone-cold stunners. I'm a hot tamale and I was uh, achieving appropriate sides. And um, is that how you talk about it now? Like, if you think you're a delicious dish, you you were accompanied by the right condiments? Anyway, I uh, I was. I was never un. It was never inappropriately condiment. They were gorgeous, gorgeous guys and gals that I was getting with. But I didn't have the sense of self or the openness that would allow me to actually be with them. So it was always just an absolute clusterfuck. And not like a good... I don't know... I don't know what a good clusterfuck would... I think a clusterfuck could potentially be really not like... If you think about like a, a, like a cluster of anything is... If we're talking about cereal, is is yum scrum. <laughs> so maybe clusterfuck wasn't the best analogy, but it, like a bad clusterfuck. Anyway, so I got bored and lonely. I stopped having sex with people because it wasn't really very fun. And uh, and in the first place, I was only really having sex with them because I felt like I ought to. Because the only way to get better at sex is to have more of it, right? Am I right? And then I took, oh yes, the next logical step, which was, of course, to start talking about it in my stand-up. I thought, oh, this is going to be a really unique standpoint. What a hot take, a woman talking about not being able to orgasm. Because I'd seen men talking about women who couldn't orgasm in like super hilarious, extremely derogatory, what a frigid bitch ways. (laughs) And uh, I was sick to the back teeth of that. So I thought, I'll I'll tell them what it's like to be a frigid bitch. And actually, (laughs) you're not a frigid bitch. You just don't feel anything in your fanny because your mind is entirely taken over. So I decided to talk about it on stage and to make it less like emotionally vulnerable for myself I decided to do that to have that conversation to make those jokes whilst dressed as a sperm 
Now, I know you all saw that coming, but let me let me explain my just. I know lots of people have done that, but let me explain my justification for that. The reason I did that was because my fear that my partner wouldn't come because I wasn't coming had come to become such a barrier against me ever coming that I just decided to become come. That's a joke I would tell when I first appeared in my Mac in a sack and two pairs of tights. The truth was, I think, actually... The Mac was just a lovely shade of blue. It matched my eyes. And if I was going to talk about not being able to orgasm, I wanted to look cute while I was doing it. Uh, So I would come on stage dressed as a sperm and I'd do my set. People would love it. I was sperm girl. And I'd ask them about what it felt like to orgasm because uh, I was pretty certain I never had. And I wanted to know from their perspective what it was like so I could identify you know it was doing detective work as a sperm undercover and that show went really well I did it at Edinburgh Fringe Festival and it was a lovely run I would have people come up to me all the time either women would come up to me and go oh you just need to sleep with a woman then you'll sort yourself out men would come up to me and say oh you just need to sleep with me I'll sort you out as if I was a pair of socks that just lost its matching partner stuck in the washing machine going round and round waiting for somebody to rescue me with their dick I stopped doing that show not because people were coming up to me and talking to me about orgasms I actually I loved that I really loved that conversation I had a lot of guys actually come up to me and say I've been with women who haven't orgasmed and they haven't wanted to talk about it and it stopped us having a relationship because there's no way you can go from there if you can't talk about what's wrong. So I really appreciated that honesty. And then after that, they would say, so why don't we have sex? And then I can sort you out. And then, and then I realised it was only going one way. I loved the responses people would give me on stage. When I asked them, what does it feel like to orgasm? One woman said, like eating eight mangoes at once. I think she didn't mean literally like the sensation was as enjoyable as that would be for her. You see, this is very individual. For me, I like a mango, but uh, eight, I I think I'd feel stuffed to the brim. And uh, somebody else said it was like a unicorn riding up your entire body as you explode in fireworks of joy. Now, that one actually got in my way a bit because it's such an explosive description, literally exploding in fireworks of joy, that anything less than that feels like... um, a damp sparkler. And that's, I, I would say, actually, the sensation I was getting at that point was sort of damp sparkler level. So I was like, well, this isn't an orgasm. Where's the unicorn? I stopped doing that show in 2016 because when I'm doing a show that's really personal and has quite a strong narrative, I get stuck in the story of that show and I can't move on personally until I finish performing it. So in that show, yeah, I was very much the naive, can't orgasm character and the audience were the experts. In order to stop being the person who couldn't come, I had to stop performing that show. After, I went to see a tantric shaman. That's right. Yes, it wasn't sexy. She lived in Sydenham. I had to get two hot chocolates on the way. I was so intimidated and um, I was so scared that, again, I was going to let her down by not being sexual enough or not having enough sensation or, like, suddenly exploding in fireworks of joy. Can you hear the pressure I was putting on myself? And I knew I was doing it at the time, but I just didn't feel like there was any other way to, to crack myself open, as it were. And um, progressively having the conversations with people, normalising it, uh, keying into my body, cutting out all of the elaborate performance that was going on, that's what really helped, I think, 
getting back to basics, super simple. So I did a bit of the tantra. I went to a workshop one-on-one with her and then like with a group in a basement in Neil's yard. Don't worry, we'll get to this in some kind of episode, I'm sure. When I was in Edinburgh, I was repeatedly being told like, oh, you fucking men, well, that's your problem, baby. And it turned out it wasn't. It was my problem and mine alone. And I just had to be with myself for a bit. So, Tantra, performance, big sperm show, talking about it more, letting things be more simple. Then I had my relationship that I'm in now. And there was no like sudden, oh, silver bullet, suddenly you can come moment. It was like a progressive learning and unlearning and opening and simplifying and giving myself more space. And I had my first orgasm with my big love about nine months, I think, or so into our relationship, built a lot of trust, like really built up to it, just like increasingly going like, oh, oh, ah, there's something that was more than last time or, oh, I've not had that before. Really paying attention and like letting go, but also kind of, yeah, uh, observing more closely I had my first orgasm with penetration, sex, and and I would say my first orgasm really because masturbation, like I had had more sensation than I'd given myself credit for because I was constantly going, well, that's not it because it doesn't sound like what I heard described there or doesn't look like what I'm seeing in porn or it's nothing to do with what Meg Ryan performed in Harry Met Sally, etc. So I had had more sensation than I uh, recognised when I was masturbating from like quite a young age. But I had like a proper, proper one. Yeah, we'd gone to Brighton for the weekend. I was doing a show and I was like really vibing after this great gig. And oh my God, the stars just aligned. I burst into tears afterwards because it just was. And so did he actually. I was so grateful to have been there. I mean, it wasn't just that he was there, like to be present. I mean, he was so present. That was a huge part of it. We were really in touch with each other and honest like it was the exact opposite to the kind of pretending and performing that I was doing in my previous relationships yeah it was so deep it was a real oh moment I can remember just feeling so connected to myself like my body had taken over and done its own thing and I was so happy that my head hadn't got in the way because in so many other instances that was always in the driving seat. And since then, oh, they've just got better and better. I swam in the ocean the next day and I remember just feeling like I am the ocean. <laughs> yeah, they've got better, they've got deeper, they've got different, like depending on the time of the month. Sometimes I have like three or four, quite regularly actually. I'm a, I'm a jamming bitch. <laughs> I, um, that's, I've gone from none to never not, honestly. If I don't, now I feel like, wow. How could I not have for so long? This is nowhere near as good. So that's what made me want to make the podcast. I'm fascinated by other women's experiences of orgasm. Like, what do they feel like for you? Have you had any breakthrough moments? As I definitely did. Um, What did you learn about orgasms growing up or as you were becoming kind of sexually aware? how do they change over the month depending on your period or hormones or like what's happening in the outside world hello corona I'm just an absolute purr for orgasms now and I hope having listened to 
this first episode, you will be too. Great. I'm so excited. I genuinely, as you can hear, I love talking about this stuff. And Desiree is just the best. If you don't know her, where have you been? She's everywhere. A fantastic comic. An exceptional voice in every sense of the word, as you will soon hear. Links to her socials and examples of her comedy, etc. will all be in our episode notes. As are links to our Ko-fi page. That's where you can support us for making this podcast. Yes, please throw us your pound. And in return, we will give you videos of us making the podcast. I will do commissions on the musical interludes that we include in the podcast. And any extra bits that we couldn't fit into the edit but are still solid gold, we will bung on there. So support us, become regular subscribers, and you will have access to all those treats. Just go to ko slash fi Kofi dot com forward slash Helen Duff. That's Kofi dot com forward slash Helen Duff. Last thing to say is that in her 20s, when she lived in New York, Desiree used to work as a dominatrix and that's where our conversation starts. Okay, that's all you need to know. Oh, I'm so excited. Here's Desiree. had regular subs who came in to see them for sessions but also would see them outside of the dungeon in real life you know like one of my friends who worked there basically had this guy who was her personal sub and just picked her up whenever she needed being picked up or like whatever would just give her a ride to wherever he would just do her errands and whatever and he was happy to be the one she called on when she needed things. So sometimes it did extend into real life. Um, I didn't work there long enough or really invest enough in trying to develop that Mm. just because that is also an intimacy, obviously. And there is, in a large part, the sub kind of is in control, both in their willingness to be the recipient of whatever they're doing. Like they sort of set the boundaries or should be Mm. uh, sexually, but also... Um, in a paid context, for sure. They're the ones who are like, what do you need me for? Like, that's, it's like having, it's not quite like having a kid, but it is like where it's like, okay, I'm in control, but they're the one who's determining all these parts of my life because they're the one who wants to receive gratification or validation after they've done something for you. And so they're constantly trying to do those things. And it can be quite invasive when they want more than you are actually willing to give them. And there's this weird thing of trying to put them in their place and then pushing that boundary back all of the time. That right. People talk about topping from the bottom or things like that. That's interesting. Topping yeah. from the bottom. I haven't heard that phrase before. Yeah. Where somebody is so much craving your affirmation that, that it becomes yeah. like you have responsibility for them giving that gratitude. Yeah, that they're sort of manipulating the situation in order for them to get the thing that they want from a, a sort of submissive point uh, mm. of view. And when you went into the Dom job, like working there in general, yeah, did you have... Am I right in thinking you'd, you'd not had sex at that point? Yeah, no, I hadn't. So that's a fascinating question in terms of... Obviously, penetrative sex doesn't necessarily mean that you're completely inexperienced. Yeah. But did you feel... I, I, 
think I would have felt a certain sense of imposter syndrome going of into course. a scenario like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. But I guess I had felt imposter syndrome the entire four years I spent at Yale. Yeah. And so I think I, I had become sort of accustomed to the imposter syndrome, like not comfortable with it by any means. But I felt, you know, I definitely felt like a bit of a phony, but I also knew that I was playing a role, that all of these other women were women who had identities, lives, sometimes other careers and things that they were pursuing outside of it. And mm. I definitely worked with people who were younger than I was and had, I mean, maybe they'd done sexual things, but they were still just kind of like, I don't know, I'm just like an actor or I'm a student or, yeah. you know, I'm a nurse in training. So in a way, <laughs> was it almost helpful or better to actively create that role? Like, yeah. I'm in my personal life, in my past life, at university or... I've been kind of feeling like I'm playing a role, even though nobody's explicitly cast me in it. Yeah. Because I'm not being entirely honest about my experiences and people are making assumptions that I'm letting them make. Yeah. And just going along with it. Yeah. Um, But then when you created it, or you stepped into it for real, it's almost more honest. No, it's interesting. Because if I think back at my university experience, like we were all... To a certain extent, I understand now experiencing similar levels of imposter syndrome, but we'd all compare ourselves to the other and think I'm much more of an imposter than this person here because they've done X, Y, and Z. Mm. But none of us feel like, well, I mean, I'm sure there were some people who felt like they deserved to be there, but I think they were probably very wealthy, uh, white, sort of trained up in a certain amount of money, class culture of being like oh of course I deserve this it's an actual natural extension of having gone to this high school and this you know exactly I feel like we might have had a similar experience especially with the tutoring as well Mm. because now I'm on the I've seen the way that some people are schooled to go to those places yeah and it just feels like a natural extension of what they've always been doing a highly pressured yes like you still feel yeah a huge obligation to fulfill your parents kind of investment yeah, yeah, exactly that um, investment. But certainly, it's not like uh, wow, nobody in my family has ever been to a place like this. Yeah, and so I'm going to spend the next three years or four years in your case, yeah. feeling like I'm playing catch up or pretending yeah. that I've read stuff that I haven't. And yeah, yeah, never having time to read enough. Yeah, of course. I not. was remembering as well at Cambridge, just the way we danced, and I think it's indicative of like the way in which we also interacted in a relationship at sort of like a party like a, a, party. a school okay it was the kind of time where like things like hot chick uh-huh. you know so yeah that sort of music yeah and then people would just sort of bounce uh like in a really erratic off rhythm <laughs> way and kind of like bump into each like shoulders occasionally <laughs> but mostly you just watch somebody else and give them you know those like that like like that kind of like slow motion thumbs up yeah <laughs> It's like you're playing on a remote control, yeah? Oh, even smaller. Like like at the hips level, right? (laughs) As you watch, like, just that they, like, they saw what you were doing, they recognised it, they liked it, but there's no way they could also get involved in it. Yeah. Because it's not the kind of dance that allows people to to come together. Yeah. And then I feel like any kind of, I mean, I was not having sex at uni, so I don't know, but I feel like a lot of physical was that kind of, like, just sort of bumping up against each other and, Hoping yeah. something happened. Yeah. But certainly, like, on an emotional... For an emotional metaphor, that was the way that we interacted. People would just kind of be doing their own thing, hoping something di- they did impress someone else, and the other person would try and acknowledge it in a way that then also didn't make them feel vulnerable. You know, yeah. no one... Yeah. No one was showing their hands. Yeah, wow. No one was going like, this is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> 
That is so... Can I just tell you not to sidetrack briefly, but how uh, wonderfully relieving hearing that story is? Because I think it was similar at Yale, although we did have the benefit of being mostly American and then being a little bit more able to like, (laughs) you know, and and they would would host naked parties, right? And so people would show up and you like take up and everyone's just sitting there chain smoking, talking about what they did in their lecture, just naked. Totally, totally disconnected. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe some people would get it on, but mostly just disconnected, but like we're cool because we're doing this naked party thing and we're trying. I'm fascinated by that because I've been to tantric workshops where the same thing is happening. Yeah, really. So people are not, um, you don't get naked well the ones I went to uh you don't get naked you don't nobody touches each other but at one point at the end it has built this kind of crescendo and everybody is like um some people are it's not so much masturbating wanking as like just sort of like feeling their whole you know like yeah. self-massage almost yeah. yeah but also some people start to scream and get whipped up into the kind of yeah. euphoria of the environment yeah very much like I imagine wild wild country you know that Netflix yeah uh huh so they get kind of like het up by the atmosphere and the I don't know some essential oils being burnt a shrub stick um a little bit of like French cello on the sound system that's been made really loud and then it whips up into this hysterical, and it's and it's a lot. People get, or you don't get whipped up. You're just in that scenario, completely disconnected, pretending you are, making the right sounds, and in your head you're going, "Why do I feel yeah, anything? this thing?" Yeah. So it, it makes it much much worse because you just feel trapped. Yeah, in your yeah. Own body. And you, yeah, and it's weird. Do you feel as though when you're doing that, like obviously you feel like. Where what have they found that I can't or I'm not finding? But yeah. also, do you feel any kind of pressure to perform because you're totally. in that? So you just environment? end up performing more, like as you would in another situation. Oh, no. And with the with the being naked <laughs> at a party thing, was it an experience where you were seeing yourself through other people's eyes and thinking, "Oh, I am a powerful bitch," you know? Yeah. Or were you some days thinking, "I am I am so hormonally low," <laughs> and I have no respect for myself because I'm just like in a place of real and then somebody else is seeing me and the disconnect there is horrible I feel trapped in this idea that somebody else is projecting onto me yeah I think I suppose because I trained as an actor I just kind of crossed a threshold and I was on stage yeah and so you know yes I and I think I've uh, learned the skill of just being what people need me to be from mm. well before that. So I think that, yeah, some days I'm so hormonally or just otherwise low that it's like, well, but then you cross over that door and you're kind of like, here I am. Also, I think that I appreciated the fact that they were projecting that onto me because it did half the work for me, if not more. Right. You know, they think I'm far more uh, dangerous, powerful, domineering, whatever, than I ever am. Like, I wasn't a great dominatrix. I was a <laughs> fucking cookie. Just like, yeah. you know, like I would, like this, I remember this one guy who was a piece of shit, was like sort of, I don't know, we, we had to do these parties um, that, that like once every month or six weeks or whatever, they would host a party in the dungeon that were like play parties to get their, to get clients come in, to get new clients in the fetish community to like know about it, blah, blah, blah. Some people would do like perf- an open house kind of a bit. And so some <laughs> people would do performances. If you could do that where it's like, Oh, you're being tied up in you know, Japanese bondage or, you know, you're being flogged on a wheel or something like that. You know, I think I did one or two of these parties while I was there. Um, I guess they weren't that frequent, but anyway, it was kind of like a fetish open 
open house. Um, but And then you would pick up clients who would be like, oh, I want a small session here or whatever. And you would know what the rates are for like, you know, spanking someone for right. 15 minutes as opposed to yeah. 30 or an hour, which is normally whatever. And this guy wanted me, he was like, oh, you know, a lot of people will be like, let's see what I can get as a freebie, you know. Right. So he was basically like, wanted me to like crush his dick. You know, and no matter what I did, it wasn't hard enough, you know, and he was like, and I'm like sitting there like trying to dig nails into it. And he was like, oh, you're so cute. And I was just like, oh my God, I won't fucking kill you in your sleep. But I was like 23. So I was just infuriated with myself that I wasn't able to be evil enough to meet this person's requirements. And it's just so fucked up how I'm suddenly valuing myself based on someone else's sort of, uh, uh, just pushing me further and further down, trying to get money out of this person that I don't know and don't care about, who I now feel is like taking advantage of me. It's like, oh, you're so not, all this gross, gross stuff. There were so many things where it's like, this is crossing so many terrible lines right now, but that's the situation I put myself uh, into for having this job. Send that off, I need a way. I was definitely just desperate for a real experience to happen, you yeah. know, and I think I just started doing what people do because because I had recognized that there was some kind of sexual value to my body, which I hadn't growing up as a fat person. Like mm. I just thought that no one was ever going to want to. Um, and so once I think what positively that job provided for me was the fact that there were different kinds of people who were interested in my body that I hadn't realized or recognized. Yeah. So that allowed me to feel a little bit freer. But ultimately, well, I met a girl at a theater party and then I'd gone home with her and that was really fun because it was just sort of fun, you know? Yeah. And she was like, I think maybe my age, but like a bit younger than I was. And she was just super into me. And I just didn't understand, but I kind of let things happen. And it was really, you know, enjoyable just to have somebody else, especially when you're with a woman. It's somebody who understands how your body would work a little bit better than having to sort of tell a guy this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. Uh, But when I finally... And did you find that you knew how your body worked? Well, I, I think that I discovered with her, for me, I like, obviously the clit's glorious, who doesn't love one, but I do like more penetrative, you know, sex. And so it was kind of like more fingers, more fingers, more fingers. It's so funny (laughs) that you say the clit's glorious, who doesn't love it, more fingers, more, because it's so, having asked people. Wow, it varies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Interesting. Usually. Some people are not clip people at all, just mm. to the spot. But I'm like on my front, has to be on my front, mm. working on being on my back. Mm-hmm. And I feel like also I have a little thing about, mm, basically once a tantric shaman, she said to me, if you're not able to do it on your back, then you're not really open to the world. You're closing yourself off. Like if you need to be on top instead of on the bottom, is yeah. that what you mean? And she kind of projected onto it, like that suggests oh, you're maybe ashamed and you're kind of closing yourself off and hunching over. And, and you're like, I already it. lived through that. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Still want to fuck. Working on it. Thanks, yeah. babe. <laughs> so, um, I think it's just like the angle and the pressure and also the fact that I kind of, hitch up and yeah. means I can get my G-spot at the same time yeah. as having my clitoris in yeah. kind of on my palm. Yeah. And it's an indirect, uh, it's very indirect uh-huh. for me on the clip because it's like, um, it's, I'm not using my fingers on it. I'm using like the base of my palm. Yeah. So it's quite, so it's it's quite progressive. Broad, yeah. Which is good because sometimes people are too like, 
fingery yeah. only. It's kind of like when you get a massage and someone like massages your shoulders with like just thumbs. Yeah. And you're like, that's excruciating. It's making me more tense. I need a broader sort of palette of pressure. But I'm trying to think, I don't know that I could reach my own. Ge- <laughs> I mean, I know and no like, one can see me doing so this like the, underneath reach around. You're kind of gesturing like you're actually, you're sort of like, like a cricket throw, like you're throwing, <laughs> you're throwing a cricket ball behind you. <laughs> You're kind of like batting, Is that how batting it works? back. If that was a bat, that was yeah. a arm, that was a bat. You're kind of like batting backwards. Yeah, I'm doing a lot of batting today. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, now I'm curious to try that. But anytime I try to do anything sort of internal myself, it's like I usually require equipment because it's not going to go deeply enough or further forward enough yeah. to like hit uh, the things. And it's funny because I prefer usually to be on the bottom, but that's only because my knees are shit. You know fun anymore. All you do is work that cleared. Anymore to get at Lost about ya. Why is there so much time to think when you're fucking someone sometimes where you're just thinking all of these things and you're like that's not what we came here for and are you thinking are we you know are we in two different places while you're inside me and we're supposed to be one in the same place like what the fuck and it seems like time does this weird expansive thing and slows down and you're like oh my god like I'm doing complex calculus fucking equations socially right now like what is this thing yeah and there's that that's sexual but there's also and it feels really it feels like I've come as close as I can and I feel so far away that it feels, that, as we were speaking about earlier, just like, it's not going to happen. I'm so far away from the thing. I'm just going to not and shut down. Plus, to throw a um, what's a spanner in the works, yeah. <laughs> which is funny because we're talking about sex, so it sounds like a dick in a vagina. But, um, <laughs> you can be really caring. I'm not saying yeah. don't be caring, but you also need to not care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To come yeah. with somebody, I've realised, for me, you yeah. have to get to a point where you can also take what you need. Yeah, 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 yeah. Express, like, I'm going to have to go at this point because if I don't really grind it, then it's going to be lost. That moment where you just have... Like, it it is because you're you're together and you want to please and all that stuff, but then there's a moment where you have to go for your own. Mm. I have to think if I've ever come at the same time as the other person or if it's always been... A slightly separate, you know, like, oh, yes, me first and then separate. you, or you first and then me, or something like that. Slightly separate, or entirely separate, like, you got off, okay, switch, you know, or or you got off and, oh, oh, you're going to go to sleep. Oh, that's it? Okay, cool, 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 cool. Which I, I accepted <laughs> for so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so long, and with the idea that we were talking about earlier of, like, I just don't, it's not. Yeah, that would be a declaration that I'd make at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, just so you know, uh, I don't. Bad. Come, so I don't, don't worry. It's not. I I really enjoy it, like you know, touching and intimacy mm-hmm. and stuff. But I've never really got there, so I'd really rather we just didn't try. How would people respond? I I would imagine that you would get irritated if you had said that, and then someone's like, "Oh well, you know, I'm gonna try extra hard then and whatever," and you just be like, "I already said no. Like, just stop yeah. it. Let me get you off and stop trying to do this fucking thing I told you you can't do." Yeah. I think I just would shut the situation down in my head so hard. Yeah, that, that even if like, they were... You know, they'd eventually come, or very quickly come, and then it'd be like, cool. Cool. Yeah, and did you ever see that sort of despondence on anyone's face of like, it oh, but I wanted no, to try it? I was really good at being... Because I genuinely believed it as well. I was yeah. really good at being like, it was great. Yeah, that was awesome. Oh, High five. Have a good night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I've noticed since I've been having them, which has only been... 
during sex in this relationship yeah. now. Uh, we did have a point where I guess, you know, it had been a year and a lot of focus had been on me. Yeah. <laughs> and then it had to, I was like, actually, if we could make sex a little bit more balanced. So yeah. Yeah. And, well, I, and, yeah. and I had to have that moment where I was like, I'm an adult now. I'm going to have to take responsibility for having been indulged is the wrong word, but um, very generously given the space I hadn't had before. Yeah. And now I'm going to have to accept that it's not always going to be, be that, that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. not feel ashamed as well. Because there was a moment where when that conversation started to happen a little bit, I probably then went, oh God, I've been taking too much. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're like, oh, this is what I was afraid of from the very beginning. Ah! Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> so you shut down. It is indicative of how much damage we do to ourselves on a consistent basis. Do you mind if we try? Yeah, sure. Okay, so you can have attention in the dom situation. You can have attention with a partner, like somebody giving you attention. But is there a version of yourself or a part of yourself that you still weren't really prepared to let be seen? Yeah, I would say I might struggle a bit trying to find the words to put to that part of myself. I think that a a sort of process of growth and becoming accustomed to like, (laughs) this, this is the only me I get. I'm not going to transform into some other magical me, which I think that as a younger person, when you think about being an adult, you think that you are going to magically transform into some like really awesome version of yourself. And particularly when you grow up fat, you think at some point you're going to lose weight and be happy, Mm. you know, and you're going to like, it's, you're just going to get all your shit together. And that's when everyone's going to be in love with you. And you're going to live in a mansion and drive a Ferrari, (laughs) you know, all the other things that you put onto when this magical threshold gets crossed and you become someone else. And I think part of that is just being a young person. And part of that for me was, was reinforced by like, when you lose weight, everything will be better Mm. as opposed to you'll still be yourself. And it's like, well, I never did that. And so I can't hang all of those hopes for progress on this magical new person I'm going to become. And also I'm still dragging the carcass of all the cells that I've been with me. So I'm not going to just quantum leap into another better version. I mean, it's great when you realize, because you can also drop a lot of the shit you're doing, but it's hard when you realize there is no ticket out of here. No, there isn't. And I think I, I, I'm glad to hear that affirm that I feel like most of us believe that there's some kind of magical ticket out of here that happens at a certain time or when you get a certain, you know, you get married or a certain job, whatever the hell it is. It can be body, it can be relationships, it can be work. Yeah. You're always like, where's the peak going to be that I can stop? I can just check out and feel 100% happy all the time. Time, yeah. And you're like, that's never coming, right? And so I think that as you progress into a maturity of understanding that, you can become... Uh, more of yourself. But in the meantime, there's still this shame about the self that you are, which I think doesn't really allow you to fully show yourself to someone because underneath it, there's some very hard nut of a belief of if they see this, there's no possible way they could love me. Really mostly only hooked up with people and didn't maintain any kind of long-term relationships. I mean, yeah. beyond the the uh, sort of internet dating, I definitely... Uh, went through a long period of trolling Craigslist and just sort of like randomly fucking guys, you know, because it is was... That, is Craigslist a place where people put up... Uh... Anything. It's like Gumtree plus casual encounters, although it doesn't exist anymore because I think at some point after my time of spending time on it, there was like a murder or something that happened Fuck. from it. And so then it was like, oh, whatever, we're going to shut it down. But it literally started as a place you'd look for a flat or a room to rent. Exactly. I was wondering whether it then 
progressed into having personal ads or yeah. whether you'd literally just been like, okay, this guy's selling a piano. <laughs> <laughs> I and then we get to know him a bit more. So euphemism for a really lyrical fuck. Yes, it was a place to like buy a piano, find a flat, find a job. But then they also had a total personal section. I would and have it, liked it to be more just like you had to. Kind yeah, of I have to break go fuck the, the piano like guy. Like cryptics. Yeah, it's just like it's basically Uber fucks. You know what I mean? It's like Uber eats, but for or Deliveroo mm. for fucking sex. It's like okay. If you're a woman and you put up an ad like looking to whatever hook up, you're going to get within five minutes, a hundred guys and like, you know, fewer, but a similar amount of pictures, many of them dicks, you know, where you're like, I'd love to see your face too, just to see if you look stabby because from a dick, I can't tell. Right. Um, I mean, you can tell in a way if it's going to be stabby. But yeah. I mean, but yeah, not like you're like, this dick going to kill me. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And, and so, yes, it was a way to, I had every confidence that like, one, I'm probably going to get something that I like or I'm into or whatever, but two, probably not going to hear from this person again. Or if I do, it will be a couple of times. Like sometimes it's a one night stand and sometimes it's a three night stand, but it's still essentially the same kind of thing. Yeah. There was this weird thing of like, you know, when you figure out that you like someone after you fuck them, but it's too late because you fucked them too soon and we've mm. already decided, like, we've already put in the bid and decided what this was. Yeah. And now I realize it could have been so much more, but oh well, you know, and mm. there's a little microscopic tragedy in that one, but it's kind of, you know, on to the next. So I think that it wasn't a, a way of controlling it, of being like, this is not, this is only going to go so far. They are going to see me as a combination of myself and also an image that they're projecting onto me. Mm. And I also have the option of them realizing that I'm far more, um, you know, vulnerable or sensitive or interesting than the image that they projected. And then they maybe want me a little bit more than they did before, which is kind of like, I, I think that because I always, because I was always fat, I always had a lot of assumptions and things projected onto me. I mean, everyone does, mm. but I think if you are a certain kind of person, if you, you know, if you're a person of color, if you, you know, are big or, you know, I'm sure if you're queer, disabled, whatever, there mm. are other things that people assume about you that you can feel them putting onto you that you then have to wear. And you do a lot of extra work trying to cast those aside and be like, no, this is the real me. I'm an individual distinct person and not a stereotype or whatever. Yeah. And um, I think that I, I heavily wore the mantle of like, I'm fat. People assume certain things about my personality and about me and completely desexualize me right from the start. Um, and I was always fighting against that uh, image. And I think that I things just, have... Am I seeing a different person now? Would I have recognized you there? Because for me, yeah. you're very central. I, and I, a friend of mine said that to me in college, like maybe 20 years ago. But I think that it was a combination of factors. I think that... I I grew up in Southern California, sort of uh, L.A. and Orange County border, very uh, white, very, um, you know, we were uh, a lower middle class family hanging out in a sort of upper middle class area, you know, just because we'd moved there earlier before it was actually even a city mm. and sort of holding on tenuously to. Uh, maintaining certain appearances. And so, you know, the high school I went to was a public high school, but it was relatively good. I got an education that was good enough to allow me to be able to get into a school like Yale, Mm -hmm. which is not necessarily true for where my parents had moved from in sort of South Central Los Angeles kind of thing. Um, And because because everything in that area centers around, it sort of lives in the shadow of Hollywood and all of those images, 
all anybody wanted to be was pretty. All anybody wanted to be was attractive and probably in a movie. Mm. So being intelligent really had no value and being a person of color in a very white suburban town had no value and being a fat person. It's just like, so what the fuck are you even here for? Yeah. And I think that I just imbibed that from the very start. I was never looked at in a sexual way, um, you know, all throughout uh, my youth up through high school. At all, And it wasn't until I moved to the East Coast for college that I realized that there were other people who, uh, I don't, that, that I just might have some kind of value as a physical being. Because, Did you ever yeah. distrust those people? I remember... That I grew up with? Uh, no. Or... Opposite. Oh, people when I moved. Like, um, I think your body is beautiful. Yeah, and or, I was like, oh, shut the fuck up. Well, exactly, <laughs> exactly that. Did you... Did you I've, had, I've had experiences where I've been feeling so low about myself physically that people have been really complimentary or in mm-hmm. love with me and I've disrespected yeah. their taste. Or just just distrust them in terms of like you're just saying that. Like I definitely have had situations where I don't know what to do with a very, very conventionally hot guy who's like looking at me and I'm like, I don't know what drug you're on or what's happening, but like I don't know how to engage you in a sexual way because I only do that in this sort of dark corner where I request a thing and someone is kind enough to fulfill that request, not a genuine interest in me for someone who is, who's a 10, you know, if we want to go to the numbers like that, like if someone's a five or a six, I'm like, oh yeah, sure. That makes sense. (laughs) You know, but if someone who's like, in my mind, way hotter than me, I'm just like, I don't know what to do with that. But then there's also the other version of that when you're with someone who's saying like you know you're really beautiful and that kind of thing in a way that makes you feel like I could tell that he's saying that because he feels or thinks or knows that I need to hear that Mm. you know and then I feel patronized right and and that way of like you're like well I know and it's like clearly I don't you know but I like I know that in an intellectual way I don't know that in a sense of being or the way that I'm carrying myself or the way that I am sexually putting the other person first because it's much easier to focus on someone else's pleasure Mm -hmm. than to open yourself up to receiving your own and feeling like you are worthy of receiving that just because you exist and not because you've provided some service, right? Right. So uh, sometimes someone can sense that about you and then says that in a way to like encourage you, which feels way worse, you know, because it's that weird thing of like, you have a sense that I don't know what I'm worth and you're probably right but yeah. fuck you <laughs> and I wish you hadn't recognized like, that because that, that makes me feel shitty. I am surely not covering it as well as I thought that right yeah, and like, I basically I I'm just fucking useless actor yeah, yeah I, I thought I was covering it and that's why I went into a performance career because I learned how to cover mm. a lot of shit from early on and so I thought I was good enough at this to pull this off mm. you know and if someone sees you that is actually a really wonderful thing but you're like, oh God, my slip showing. Yeah. Oh, Did you? Did you really want these? Do you know yourself? How well do you know? I mean, the first word that would come to my mind is electricity. And I imagine that comes to a lot of people's minds because it does just feel like a current, like a, a blast of a current has gone through your body when you finally get to that moment. And there is the sort of rising action of like, oh, the meter at the fucking electrical plant's gonna blow. And there's something for me, I quite often 
get the aftershocks afterward of yeah. of like you know of come, but then it's like then I'm like ah yeah yeah and I feel like a Jerry Lewis like sketch where I'm just like yeah um, and so I, I, there's something like an electrical bolt or pulse or or current, but there's something um uh I want to say circular or um concentric or like where, where it's not just a one thing. It's not just a like, bam. It's a, a sort of like, uh, like a wom, 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 wom. And then like a, 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 a sort of a crescendo of that. And then a, a dissension of wom, 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 you know, back to, okay, I'm normal now. And usually I, I mean... I often giggle afterwards because I think that's just my emotional response. And then I'm just like, (laughs) like a weird squirrely thing. Also, Um, maybe in response to the noises that you've made during. Potentially. So yeah, a bit. Yeah. Cause I get very like, like very low, like not gravelly, but just like, Oh yeah. Me too. You know, totally. And that's how I knew that I'd never, that's how I know that I probably never had one on my own really is because the noise I made when I finally had one, with a partner, it was just like, yeah, it felt like a, a kind of, I guess, a, a sort of pain being released, actually. Yeah. Like on an emotional level, maybe, just like a, a letting go that was properly Yeah, releasing. I feel like it's that sound that you make if you fall on the concrete really hard, like the wind got knocked out of you. Like the kind of fall where you can't get up right away. Yeah. Like where you just hit, and you're like, <laughs> like yeah. that and you just like, sit there for a while uh, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and you're like like you know your body protects you from feeling the full uh extent of that pain for a moment and then it's just like oh uh, <laughs> like that the noise that's the nice thing about the noise is it really captures that you it's not something and i guess it's why it's a hard question to answer that you can mentally comprehend in full yeah. So the the noise yeah. is like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> there are no words. Yeah, yeah. Say it. There are no words for that, but it's something that is so deep that requires expression yeah. in a way. But like, if you could articulate it, you wouldn't be there. And that's it. Big thank you to Desiree for being our first fantastic guest. There are so many amazing more episodes to come. I cannot wait for you to hear them. All of Desiree's details are in our episode notes. Follow her on socials. She is worth it. Huge thank you to my producers, Lorna Rosetreen and Daisy Grant. I can't believe we finally made it. There are too many people to thank. This podcast has been a long time coming and you have got to tune in for the rest of the series. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. As I said before, our Kofi, if you want to bung us some pounds for this podcast, please support our fantastic work, is ko-fi.com forward slash Helen Duff. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Helen Duff. Become a regular subscriber and not only will you get access to all sorts of extra treats, you'll also be the first to know about who our guest is next week. That's right, we have a second episode dropping in a week and I cannot wait for you to hear it. Until then... Have a lovely time with yourself. 